before. Right? After all, life is short. Right? So in the wise words of a, of a biblical king and a, a bit of a washed-up 90s singer-songwriter, we should all eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will surely die. This morbid mantra is often one that we live by, but rarely we give a lot of thought to. Right? If you knew that death was coming, what would you do? If you knew that, that death was on your doorstep, what would you want to say? Who would you say it to? thought about that? This morning, as we open up our Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy, I'd like to remind us that this book of the Bible is Paul's last letter to his brother, Timothy. It's his last letter to a brother that he loved, to a guy that he cared for deeply, right? Paul wrote this letter while he was uh, in his second Roman imprisonment. He was stuck in jail, and in this go-around, right, he was awaiting his trial that would ultimately end in his execution, right? Timothy was was in Ephesus where Paul had left him, building the church there, and and this was his final letter penned to be a personal encouragement to Timothy. So as we open to the third chapter of this letter, we will find encouragement, interestingly enough, in the form of a warning. For there will be much godlessness in the last days. I'd like to go ahead and read through that list one more time, so uh, look with me in your Bibles at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. I find it interesting that not much has changed in 2,000 years. We hear that over and over again, but often we forget that, right? Not a lot has changed. Mankind appears to function the exact same way today, just like it did in Paul's day. This morning, I'd like to explore three warnings that we can find sprinkled throughout uh, chapter 3, throughout this passage, right? Paul lovingly warns warns Timothy to first, forego the fool. Secondly, forego the folly. And his last point is to forego the farce. Our passage this morning uh, begins with the word, but... Right? Pastor Mark is always really good at pointing out therefore, right? What is therefore, therefore? What is therefore, therefore? We always need to ask what therefore is therefore, right? And this morning is another weird conjunction, right? This is a conjunction or a connecting word that should immediately point us backwards, right, in the text. So we're going to go there. We're going to go backwards a little bit before we go forwards. So please read along with me, starting in verse 24 in chapter 2. And the Lord's servant 
must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, he continues in chapter 3. This is Paul's way of, of waving his arms up in the air, and he's saying, whoa, 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 like we've been talking, but wake up, right? This is important. I want you to understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You guys experienced that? Judging by our prayer requests, I think we have. Um, but before we go any further, I want to address the, the elephant in the room, right? This, this last days, right? Modern evangelical Christianity has, has twisted our understanding of these last days, right? Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series uh, paints this picture of this end times being this far-off cataclysmic event into the world event, right? And, and I, I love the OPC and, and how it leaves, uh, you know, room for several interpretations of the end times, but I would argue that the Apostle Paul and the early church understood that the last days was a season that is going to be ushered in by Christ's resurrection. I believe that Paul and Timothy and, and us ourselves today are living in the last days, right? It's a season that we coin as the already but not yet, right? Christ has already died. Christ has already defeated the grave, and we are waiting, but not yet. We are awaiting his coming once again. So when we read our passage this morning, take note that Paul is saying, hey, right, I want you to take note of this. Please understand that in the last days, right now, we are going to find ourselves in times of difficulty dealing with fools, right? And Paul goes on to list these foolish traits. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Yikes, right? Did you catch that? This paints a, a, a pretty gnarly picture, right? Paul is warming Timothy that the, uh, uh, to forego the fool. He opens with, people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money, right? And these selfish characteristics of people are in direct opposition to Jesus' commands, right? He, he, he sums, Jesus sums up in the law. I think we, we uh, hit this in our last sermon this, earlier this morning, right? Jesus sums up the law in Matthew Right? That uh, we should love the Lord our God with all thy heart and love your neighbor as thyself. Right? Being a lover of self is the exact opposite of what God's word commands us to do. Being proud, being arrogant and abusive is a completely self-centered way of living in direct opposition to our holy and just God. I really love this next part because I find it super easy to gloss over this part, right? He, uh, Paul warns Timothy. He says, uh, those who are disobedient to their parents, right? <laughs> this is awesome. Because he's talking about my kids. He's talking about your kids. He's not talking about me, right? Uh, um, he's talking, I'm, I'm the parent now. I don't have to listen to this, right? <laughs> but one who tends to disobey their parents also holds a problem with authority. Right? I've spent a very long time working with kids and, and youth, and I can attest that kids that consistently disobey their parents at home, they are disobedient in school, they are disobedient in church on a Sunday morning, right? A disobedient child 
often grows up to be a, a child who cannot understand what it means to submit to their Father in heaven. This person is selfish. This person is foolish. Paul goes on in his traits to list four untraits. Right? We don't fully get this unness in our English translation, but let me help you out, right? Paul says that people will be ungrateful. He says people will be unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. This shows us that sin manifests themselves in the absence of good and in the absence of virtue. Then there's, there's two more traits that reflect our speech and our behavior. Slanders, we're told, and without self-control. Self-control is a really important virtue that's constantly being stressed by Paul. Right? He says God gave us a spirit of fear, but uh, <laughs> sorry, God gave us a, a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And he follows this up with two more unterms. Two more unterms. It's a little bit hard, once again, to get this in our English, but, but uh, it doesn't quite treat it the same way as it does in Greek, but brutal, right? Brutal is this word that uh, some translations read as untamed or savage, right? It's this word that is described to uh, think of fierce lions. We talked about, uh, you, you referenced Gladiator to the movie, and, and these men that st- uh, uh, stood in these arenas, right? The um, Roman Colosseum and fought these fierce, wild, brutal lions. And, and this word brutal is talking not just about uh, animals. It's talking about people that act like these lions, people that are not loving of the good. Paul continues that this unloving of the good, right? These people might love all sorts of things, right? They might love money or or their own self-promotion or even even things that are good, right? They might love their home, right? I've got a neighbor who's uh, very much not not a believer, very much not a Christian, doesn't know much about church, and I've been having lots of good conversations with him. Um, but he's a good guy, right? Like, he loves his home. He loves his family. He loves his children. He loves his neighbor. He's a great neighbor, really nice guy, right? Sometimes we can love these things, but, but these people don't love the good. They don't cherish and hold on to what is truly good. Is this, is this list overwhelming yet? Right? Paul pleads with us to forgo such foolishness. But what's the point? What's the point of forgoing this foolishness? I think our takeaway from this portion of text should call our attention to the fact that as Christians, we should not be surprised by sin. We're surrounded with it. When a 16-year-old girl walks into my office and in tears after she finds out that she's pregnant, I am deeply grieved. I can cry with her. I am not surprised. Several years ago, I uh, had a mom call me in the summer. I was running a youth, youth program, and, and her mom called me and uh, said that her daughter, Chloe, her nine-year-old daughter, Chloe, would now be called and be referred to as Eric, right? She was a nine-year-old girl, and she has made this decision that she is now a he. My heart sank. Abby and I spent weeks re- reading and researching, and what is this transgender thing, and, and, and how do we love, and how do we minister to them, trying to understand their point of view, and, and trying to understand what the Bible has to say about this, and my heart sank. It hurt, but I was not surprised by the sin. Thankfully, through the power of the Spirit, we can approach these situations in love, 
and have confidence in truth as we share it to those who are confused by their sin. Right? The truth is that we have a hope. As believers in Christ, uh, there's this hope that comes not from us, not from within, but a hope that is found in a man who defeated sin and defeated death on our behalf, and, and we just have to believe. And that rest and hope is good news, right? It's contagious. It's heart-changing. So share it. We get back to our text, brothers and sisters. We should not be surprised by sin, as in the last days, the last days will be difficult. Now we're going to move on from these disturbing characteristics found in uh, this age to four traits found in false teachers themselves. Paul calls them treacherous, reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Church, Paul is warning Timothy to forego the fools. And now we can begin to understand why in this next section, right? We need to ask, why should we forego the folly? This treacherous category is important. The church is usually not troubled by teachers who are outside the framework of confessional Christianity, who say in the beginnings of their ministry, right, all sorts of things that are foolish or dangerous or false, right? Because if this is how their ministry began, it's easily recognized as something far from biblical Christianity, and we can call it out as as to what it is. But the problem lies in established church leaders that slowly move away from truth into a progressive spiral away from the center of the faith. It often takes a little bit of uh, time to see that, uh, this drift and how it goes on, kind of like a lobster boiling in a pot of water, right? People are susceptible to slowly moving further and further away from confessional Christianity. That's one of the things I really appreciate about the OPC and being able to go to our presbytery meeting a few weeks ago and being able to see these theology exams for these guys uh, seeking to be licensed, seeking to be ordained. <clears throat> and there are a, a, a team of brothers, of ministers, of elders who deeply care about God's word, who deeply care about God's truth. But friends, there are many churches that don't have that. You may say, hey, this isn't something that my church struggles with, but, but this is something that the church struggles with. And it's important to remember that. We must keep careful watch over our doctrine and our beliefs. We must forego this folly of man, right? You can be thinking, not my church, but um, <clears throat> I had a friend that preached a sermon recently, and he revealed these shocking statistics, right? He went over statistic after statistic that showed people are leaving these mainline denominations in droves as progressive theology is seeping into their leadership over these past few decades. And it starts with little simple questions, right? Did God really... In the Old Testament, did he really want these kings to obliterate towns full of women and children? Right? That's like a good, let's think about that. And that's not, yeah. Did Jesus actually claim to be God's son? Was Jesus really, does it matter if Mary was a virgin? Right? Did God really tell Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of, the good, uh, of knowledge and evil? Right? You, see, you can start to question these things, and slowly and slowly, Right? This slow and evil erosion of truth leads to reckless abandon. And that's why Paul concludes this section and clearly applies for us in his observations, right? These sinful traits that are infiltrating the church, right? And he wants to give us a simple command avoid 
such people. But why? Avoid such people? Because we read in, in chapter 2, right? We read that we must not be quarrelsome, but we must be kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil, right? Yes. And then Paul said, but understand this. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Right here, Paul acknowledges the dire consequences of letting such leaders into the church. This, this uh, phrase, weak women, is, is a trigger word in our, in our, in our modern society, right? But not, Paul is not calling all women weak, right? We must take this statement in context. In the days of the early church, women were not often educated. They weren't well-educated in the church. They weren't well-educated in uh, school. And they were not physically weak, but sometimes they were spiritually immature, given their circumstances of where they were. And there were leaders in the church in Ephesus who decided to take advantage of this scenario. And there are leaders in our churches today that do the same. Right? I wish I could report differently, but after almost 20 years of experience in ministry, I've come across three teenagers who've had this same experience. I've had the, the displeasure of sharing an office with a guy who's now sitting in a jail cell in Colorado for taking advantage of people. This is something that we think will never happen to us, but it is something that can sometimes happen under our noses. We must be on guard. We should not be afraid. Finally, we need to address foregoing the farce. Look with me at at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Here Paul is, is providing proof of the farce, right? This great play that's being put on with actors who have no authority. I find it really interesting that Paul identifies two men in each chapter leading up to this, our passage, right? He uses uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes in chapter 1 as examples of men who fell away from their faith. In chapter 2, he tells us of Hymenaeus and Philetus who swerved from the truth. And here in chapter 3, he gives us the name of two magicians who were in Pharaoh's court who opposed Moses. And they cast down their staves, performed a magic trick as their staffs turned into snakes. Right? And while they may have possessed this power for really neat tricks, right, Moses had the backing of Yahweh. Moses threw down his staff, turned into a snake, and it devoured devoured the snakes that were presented by Janus and Jambres. These men, these men created cosmic treason by opposing our almighty creator. Church Peter gives us a stark reminder of the stakes that we're playing with when he encourages us to be sober-minded and be watchful. For our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour someone. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The farce is not a myth. The farce is not a game to be dealt with lightly. Right? We must stay vigilant and committed to truth, as Paul exhorts in his second letter to Timothy. We can, however, hold on to peace. Paul reminds us as he concludes our passage today, but these magicians will not get very far. 
Their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. I love our song that we sang earlier this afternoon. Ancient of Days says, opens with, Though the nations raise, kingdoms rise and fall, there will be godlessness in the last days. There is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for his truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of Days. That is hope. Today, we're reminded that we're living in the last days, and evil does exist. And Paul encourages us today in his letter to Timothy that we can resist. The power of the Holy Spirit will help us forego the fool. We must recognize that there will be times of difficulty, filled with difficult people, and lots of difficult situations, but we must, and we must not be surprised by sin but we must hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess in Christ Jesus. We must forego the folly as we stand for truth and justice in a world that wants to pervert it. And finally, we must forego the farce. There will be those who are parading around, claiming to have power, right? Whose hope is in themselves and whose hearts are hardened against our God. They will not get very far as our Lord is sovereign and he is true. And he empowers us through the Spirit to resist the devil and stand firm in our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded today that you are holy, you are true, you are just. You are a God of righteousness, you are a God of victory who has defeated death, who has defeated sin on our behalf, and in that we can rest in and we thank you. Lord, we thank you that although this world we live in is crazy, this world we live in is full of sin, we can rest in your hope. Lord, we thank you that our hope does not come from within, but our hope is found in you. So I pray that this morning each and every one of us would find our hope and our rest in you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.